Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Six. And Father, for the last couple of episodes, we've been talking about people in the Bible's perspective and kind of what their lives were like, stuff they went through. And I'd make the comment that you know the only real difference between us and them is that they didn't know how the story ended. And from a human nature standpoint, that's where I was coming from. You know, they still felt sadness and anger and shock and all of that emotional stuff that we've had now, you know, that that's part of the human experience and always was. So what I was thinking more of is, well, obviously there has to be some things that are different more than just, we have electricity and the internet and, you know, they had donkeys. Um, so I actually kind of like started going into that and, and thinking through like, what is really fundamentally different in the way that they interacted with each other compared to us. So obviously in our modern world, we have distractions as we've discussed before. We are, especially in America, a culture of relaxation and distraction, um, distraction, probably more so than relaxation with how much annoyance people have discovered that notifications on your phone can be which started as being oh a fun thing to now it's actually creates people's stress and billions of studies about that that doesn't take much to figure out um turn notifications off your phone you'll have a better life it's pretty straightforward um but nonetheless what i was thinking of is or at least for our american audience obviously this isn't true for everyone but we haven't ever lived in a culture that has had a pure authoritarian role. There's probably saying that wrong, but we haven't had a dictator, someone who tells us how we have to be and what we have to do. But that essentially was the norm for most of the life of the church. Um, if you think about it, where the church's roots really were is in terms of the recording of the, of where everything's written down is mostly comes from Europe. And until 1700s, so for the first 1700 years of the church, all of the people who are doing most of the writings, when we think of saints who are doctors of the church, their secular side was under some form of an authoritative role. And we even like some of the terms we use in the church, like Jesus is Lord and Savior. In the way that we know the word Lord and the way that they know it is very different because we've never had uh, someone explicitly saying you have to do this. You can't do that. Um, quite frankly, the closest we've ever come to this was the governor's reaction during COVID. So <laughs> I wanted to, to, and we see how many people just rebelled against that. So I, I wanted to kind of use that thought process because in some ways, the secular governments of the world kind of molded us to be better or us being Catholics at the time to be better receptive to authority, to listening to expertise and therefore being able to recognize this person's in charge and who we should essentially blindly follow. And since we live in a world now where, expertise is irrelevant whenever you're trying to have the most likes um ex, you know you don't give authority and, and really respect to, to people who know more than you 
because it's it's the way that our culture is being hemmed. And there's obviously a lot of problems with that, and that probably can be an entire episode in itself. But what I wanted to do was kind of establish why authority is mattered and why it's, you know, for 1,700 years it was implicit. The church didn't have to teach this because you just knew. That's what the king said. That's what you got to do. You don't matter if you don't want to spend 30% taxes. You don't have a choice. So I wanted to kind of use that as a thought process because it's something that I believe would probably help make a lot of us be able to connect more to what the church is teaching because that was the language in which all of the writings of the church and and a lot of the policies were now had kind of come from. So I, I, that might have been a long explanation to get to that point, but it seals that at least in America, the soil that the church is living in is different dramatically so than the the pillar of, of how it was built throughout the years. Well, the, the church developed in a lot of different areas. Uh, the first thousand years of the church were primarily in the East. So uh, the what we call the Middle East now, uh, Africa, the, the West Coast of India, China. Uh, so even, even the Far East, certainly areas of uh, Turkey and and the and for the first 300 years, the church was not established in any nation. In uh, 301 or 303 AD, uh, Armenia became the first Christian nation, and then a little bit later, Constantine adopted Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire in 325 AD with the Edict of Milan. But the so the church has, has grown up in a lot of different areas where it was a minority, uh, a lot of different governments. So uh, from the democracy that we have now or the republic that uh, maybe was in, in Greece or the, uh, some of the other areas of uh, dictatorships and authoritarian rule and uh, different kinds of persecution, kings and a lot of different things. So certainly Europe created a certain milieu eventually with the Holy Roman Empire, which, as they say, was neither holy nor Roman, and uh, with with Charlemagne, who was crowned in Cologne. That's uh, why it wasn't Roman. But uh, and, and certainly there were lots of uh, issues in the Holy Roman Empire that made it maybe uh, not too holy. But those uh, areas, and then developing into maybe medieval feudal uh, Europe and a different kind of caste system of uh, different roles of nobility and uh, tradesmen and uh, peasants, whatever. So anyway, the, the point is the church isn't, isn't bound to any kind of particular government structure or any secular authoritarian structure. In terms of people's appreciation for authority or trusting authority, I, I mean, certainly we live in a time of uh, a certain amount of, of suspicion or uh, resistance to authority now in, uh, in a way that maybe was less the case uh, at, at different, different other areas. The church had some authority to declare some truths and the, the secular world had some authority. 
and uh, to carry out certain things. And there was maybe a more basic trust. Uh, I'm not sure what all the factors were in that. If uh, just uh, the the power that the authorities had was that much more imposing and were were more uh, equal in, in these days. Certainly, authority ran into some problems in the '60s and. A lot of different things led to some anti-authoritarian movements. The Vietnam War is an issue, certainly in our own country, and the sexual revolution, different movements of uh, of free love, uh, kind of experimentation, uh, certain expansion of uh, drug use, perhaps. The, the birth control pill played a, a big role, certainly in the sexual revolution, and making it so that the consequence of children was less of a limiting factor. And so more sexual experimentation uh, was able to take place and more sex without commitment um, took place. And, and that started to lead also into a, I don't know, a whole self-definition, drawing identity from psychological considerations rather than having that imposed from, from the outside. One of the observations of Alexis de Tocqueville and his critique of America, uh, democracy in America, was that the experiment of democracy could lead to a level of individualism that had not previously been possible. And he was concerned about that, had some warnings about that. When you were born into a family in Europe, your father was a carpenter, and so you're a carpenter. Your father was a blacksmith, so you're a blacksmith. Your father was the butler for the... uh, the nobility, and so you're the butler for the nobility. You were born into a place in society, and there was an intricate network of relationships that were sustained, and you entered into those relationships and lived out your life as fully as you could. And uh, that's you know that that's sort of where you fit into things. You you were part of a society. You weren't an individual primarily, and that got flipped in the United States. The rugged individualism of of the American pilgrim was a different kind of thing. And so uh, that introduced another dimension, which again sort of flourished uh, under in the 60s when there was even more resistance to authority. And, you know, JFK said for a reason, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. This idea that you don't live for yourself, you live for another. And then there has to be a relationship that's that's mutual of, of trust in the one that you're living for and the one who also is sustaining you in that. And just a lot of that, I think, broke down in the in the 60s and 70s and uh, led to a, a lot of anti-authoritarianism, a lot of distrust. And then we really moved in, you know, Watergate was another key issue in our own country where the press felt the... Uh, the responsibility, and uh, it became a new kind of press to expose the infractions of corrupt authority. And the press took that on as their own uh, task to fulfill, and then exposing everybody's problems and undermining our trust and authority became a kind of uh, headline du jour, and that spread into lots of other areas of authority. And, and certainly we've suffered from that in recent years in the church. Uh, church authorities would have been inclined to not expose the faithful to the failings of ministers. And I'm sure that there were mixed motives in that in different cases, but the primary thing was 
well, people need to be able to trust in the office. And so we don't need to expose them to all, we don't need to air all the dirty laundry. But we've, we've taken a shift in our sense of authority that, that authority is about service. And so it's not over and against. The authority is its own class that's over and against those who are placing their trust in authority. We have a sense that there's a collaboration now. And so we need to be honest on both sides. We need to know who the authority is and what the issues are. And then you know, we need to work together on all of that stuff. And so we're kind of putting all of our pieces on the table a lot more these days. <clears throat> all of that is to say that the kind of default is uh, maybe you were overstating about 1700 years. This was never a problem, uh, but certainly there was at, at different times in history, and certainly the 20th, first part of the 20th century would be an example of that, where there was a kind of unquestioned trust and authority. Uh, the government was in the position they were in because they were good people and they were going to do the right things. So the priests and the bishops were in the place they're in because they're good people and God chose them and they're going to do the right things. And so we don't have to question that and make our own decisions. We can trust in theirs and then we can apply them to our own lives. And uh, that certainly made a major shift. <laughs> and now we have a different standard of, of proof, uh, which has its own weird things. I mean, we still tend to trust the press as an authority. We trust the headlines. We're, we're tremendously formed by the evening news or by the latest rumors or by particular Twitter feeds. We're kind of less systematic in the way that we trust witnesses and authorities now. Instead of trusting a certain cast of people or certain offices, now we kind of trust randomly in ways that I'm not even sure we're aware that we're trusting. How many of our ideas about Pope Francis have been formed by random Twitter feeds and headlines that we haven't read the articles about? And so we have a kind of weird distrust based on a lack of evidence in some cases that, uh, or what we read on Facebook. And again, a lot of it's the headlines where we read one article, we don't really do the research. So we sort of set ourselves up as the authority by which to judge every other authority, but then we judge it based on very arbitrary standards and very limited data, uh, very limited evidence. So anyway, that all puts us in a kind of weird place that as somebody who has authority as a priest, I'm in a weird position of trying to use logical arguments to convince people. I'm really... I have to give them criteria by which to evaluate. I have to provide the evidence that satisfies the criteria that I'm giving them. And then I have to leave it to them to make the evaluation, which they may end up making based on whether it tastes good or not, you know, and it has nothing to do with uh, more compelling evidence or, or reasonable criteria for judgment. And so that yeah, puts us in a, in a kind of weird place. And, and in the midst of that, you know, one of the things that tends to have more authority is transparency, personal testimony, um, and, and the sort of vulnerable sharing that uh, demonstrates authenticity. And so I have to do more based on my own personal authenticity and less based on a kind of declaration from the position of my office. And, uh, and it's a good challenge, but yeah, it leads to a lot of interesting differences from uh from things in the past i think yes and, and certainly it's i, I we, we went from the situation of trying to figure out everything wrong to essentially putting a perpetual 
test upon anyone that's in charge and just looking for the slightest reason not to listen to them. And I think that that's the, the shift that, that has occurred. It used to be you start from the implicit spot of, of trusting an individual to now you're looking for the first reason to stop trusting. And that's, that's a lot of problems that that's kind of where I think the destruction of expertise is, is because there's not always only two options to fix a problem. And there, there can be many and, you know, it, it, it's quite, and that's just with mechanical things. You look at with how you can deal with relations. There's a, there, there's many, there's certainly many wrong options, but there's also many right ways you can go and get to the same, same park. And there's also the fact that as individuals, there's so many different arenas of importance. Like even, even the church has delineated it. You know, there's no one virtue that you need to accomplish to be a saint. It's you need to be extraordinary in one of the virtues. So if you, if you can pick two different saints that were, like I think of this, like courage, you know, St. Joan of Arc being able, willing to be put to death for, for her faith, and someone like St. Teresa who's in constant state of prayer. Not to say that, that they didn't each have courage or prayer, but you can do two different ways and lifestyles to get to sainthood. Um, and the same thing's true with many of this. So when we look at our lives about who to trust, how to trust, and if we're coming from a spot of, well, they didn't do it like that or they didn't do it like that. Well, obviously, because we're all different individuals and we're coming from a different standpoint. So all of this was to try to get to, I guess, a, a, some ballpark around here of, in America, we're looking for reasons to distrust more than we're looking for reasons to trust. I think as a culture, that's where we have become. And and you outlined some reasons of how we got there, uh, many which happened before I was alive. Uh, but this whole situation is, is just growing more so and more so. So as we are looking at this to be told, you know, Jesus is Lord many of us don't even know what Lord means, I, I guess, as a starting point there, let alone how historically that word had implications of how you were supposed to treat your Lord, what you expected from them and what they expected from you. So I wanted to dive into that part as well to, so we can establish, you know, where, where should we be? Let alone where we are, just where should we be? In terms of understanding Jesus as Lord? Y yes, yeah, and his essential universal authority. Yeah. Well, yeah, Jesus is God. I mean, uh, he created the universe. He understands the laws by which it's made, uh, and he understands the, the laws by which we are made. And, you know, we have a, we have a principle of, of development which is called a nature. So we have a human nature and our, our human nature is what makes it so that babies turn into adult human beings. They don't turn into armadillos um, because we have a human nature. That's a principle of growth in our humanity. Our brains develop in certain ways. Our childhood development takes place in certain ways. Our, our bodies develop in certain ways. And that principle for development, that principle for growth is, is a nature. And, 
we're also given at baptism uh, a share in the divine nature. So we're given a share in God's own nature. And so there's another principle of development in us that just like our bodies are naturally growing in certain ways, our minds are naturally growing in certain ways, so also our spirit is naturally growing in some ways according to the divine nature. Now, in the same way that we can thwart our bodily growth by whatever, wearing tight shoes on our feet that prevent our feet from growing, or by uh, taking drugs that prevent our brains from growing, or whatever, so we can also thwart that development of the divine nature in us. And we can do things that are contrary to God's will, to that divine nature, that prevent us from, from growing. But ultimately, he wants us to grow to become like him. And, and so his lordship is, is a capacity to know and to see, to understand all of reality as he created it to be. His, his lordship is an understanding of uh, how everything fits together and the principles by which everything grows. His lordship understands where everything is going. You know, so the, the CEO of the company has the big vision. He's able to see where the company is going. He knows all the figures. He knows all the players. He understands the points of development. He understands the different subdivisions. And, and that's what authority is meant to do. It's meant to be raised up to a higher view, to have a clearer vision, and then to be able to direct some of that uh, growth at, at different levels and then use it usually in a cascading way so that you don't have a micromanager who tries to control every level of development and growth. But that's what a, a Lord is as well over a society, is the one who is able to see the best and who is able to guide some of the points of development so that the best things can grow, um, create the conditions for, for flourishing, for thriving. And so we can, we can trust God to do that. The images that Jesus uses is like the gardener. The gardener is the one who understands what plants are in the garden, where the weeds are, what, when the watering needs to happen, whether the storm is coming or not, is able to look at the big picture and see how to take care of all of those plants. Or Jesus uses the image of a shepherd, the shepherd who knows the flock, he knows the sheep by name, he speaks to them and they follow him. And, and that's the kind of caring, loving care that God has for us. And so when we talk about Lord, we can think about gardener or shepherd as the one cares for the flock, cares for the, the crops, creates the conditions by which we can thrive, by which those principles of our human nature and the divine nature that we share and can grow within us in the most, the most fruitful way so that we can really grow into God. That's, uh, that's what's happening through the, the, life of the, the life of grace and the sacraments. We're growing into God. And we don't know how to do that. We, we don't have, we haven't figured that out yet. Uh, so we have to let that happen within us and we have to let Jesus guide us along that process as our Lord, as the one who can, can help us to take the right steps along the way for the, the fullness of, of thriving, of flourishing in our human, in our divinized humanity. And, and I think that there's a lot to that there. If you, if you think about it, going through some of the other examples you've woven in today's episode is whenever you're growing, you know, you're apparently you're inherently growing in the same direction as your parents in terms of your aging, you're, you're taking on some traits of them and you're going that way and how baptism could be the same way. Uh, the, the difference here is, is that, you know, you're obviously can't, 
you know, make your face look exactly like how you have a parent's resemblance. You know, things we see with our eyes are different than, than the senses than we feel with, with the senses of our spirit. And I think that that's something that how to hone into that is something that I don't know how to, to adequately discuss because because in my mind, I, I don't just likewise, I don't know how to t- tell someone how to ride a bike aside from, you know, you just kind of do it and you'll figure it out as you go, which is great after you're done and you have the accomplishment of I figure something out, I accomplish it. Now I have this skill. But in terms of teaching someone, it's really not an effective way to do it. So, um, so I, I, I we'll probably have to think about that moving forward. But in today's episode, I, I kind of wanted to use this to to spot that some of the times we need to just be the sheep and just trust that the shepherd knows what's going on, and we shouldn't look for reasons not to trust the shepherd. We shouldn't look for reasons to think that we're better or know more than him. And even if that would be true, there's no way we are in everything because we don't have the capacity or the know-all of where the shepherd is leading us. And that implicit trust, um, I believe, is, is part of faith in that you just recognizing that I'm I'm not that good. That's also humility in that regards, too, that... Jesus is better. He knows what he's doing and just trust him and stop looking for reasons to, to not. And I think that that process just puts yourself in so much comfort. Um, I think it comes naturally. And as we record this, we, uh, I personally just completed the divine mercy novena and you say, Jesus, I trust in you many times throughout that process. And I think that's part of, Naturally, I guess how this would it would end up there, but just going to to Jesus, accepting the fact that he knows what's what's right. This isn't like trying to talk a teacher into giving you a B instead of a C. Like this is he he knows what's what's right and where to take us. So fighting him is not really going to end up being profitable um, at the end of the day. So, Father, with that being said, I want to thank everyone out there for listening. We went a little bit longer than anticipated for this episode, and we'll be with everyone again next week.